Well, happy Father's Day and another good morning to each of you. Uh, welcome to Kingswood Church on this Father's Day, this amazing summer day. We're so glad you're here. We hope it's a good holiday for you. My name is James Preston, one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you've joined us as we continue this sermon series, Words of Life, Seeing the Ten Commandments Through Jesus' Eyes. Over the past two weeks, we learned kind of what about these commandments? How did they come about? And even two weeks ago, we got into an in-depth study of that story. You'll remember Moses led the people, the Hebrew people, out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea into the Sinai Peninsula and ultimately to Mount Sinai, or also known as Mount Horeb. There, God spoke to the people and offered these ten basic laws, these ten commandments, these ten words of life, if we translate the Hebrew literally, that help us to live faithfully and help the people then to identify themselves and to follow God more completely. Then last week, Pastor Clayton helped us to look at the first two commandments in chapter 20 of Exodus. The first one reminded us that we should put God first, that God is the only God, and, and reminded us of that powerful name for God, Yahweh, sometimes translated Jehovah, this God who we has created us and who is expecting us to be totally focused on him and his guidance. And then we learned a second commandment about not having idols in, uh, before us, not worshiping things other than God. And we talked about that idols uh, often we think of as statues or, or graven images, but the reality is anything that distracts us from our focus on God could be an idol. It could be our jobs. It could be our careers. It could be our phones. It could be a lot of things, right? And so we heard clearly that we should put God first and not be distracted by idols. Today, we now look at the next two commandments, commandments three and four in Exodus. And I think they're powerful words and are a part of the first four commandments that are about our relationship with God. The fifth commandment about honoring father and mother will transition us to the final five commandments, which are about our relationship with others and with other people. But let's take a closer look at these commandments, three and four, and what they say to us today. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for these ten words of life. We thank you for Moses, your servant, who helped convey those to the people and eventually to us. We talk a lot about the Ten Commandments. There are lots of conversations about where they should be and what they are, but it might be hard-pressed for many of us to even name the Ten and especially in order. So now, God, we pray that you would open our hearts to hear your word today, that Commandment 3 and 4 would speak to us afresh and lead us to live the abundant life as followers of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Several, several years ago, maybe two years ago, three years ago, I received a call that I, someone had received an email from me requesting money. Soon after that, I had a couple of emails that, in fact, someone was pretending to be me and using my name and my position as a pastor to acquire money. They asked to have a secret conversation or to help somebody with gas or food, and they asked for uh, gift cards. And you may have been a victim of this, or it might have been something that happened to you, but it really incensed me that someone would use my identity and my name in a way that would be corrupt and unjust and illegal. It happens all the time. 
Our identities are stolen and people take out credit and overspend and put our name in a bad place. Or they pretend to be us. Or uh, lately it's been, a, they, they, people catfish as us, if you know that term, on social media or in dating sites, pretending to be somebody they're not, using our name and our reputation to create such problems. In one case, someone uh, just believed it and made a contribution and it was just so heartbreaking that they had believed that this was me. In fact, it was someone else using my identity and my name in the wrong way. In many ways, that feeling helps me to understand more clearly Commandment 3. So here at Commandment 3, again, beginning in verse 7, which you've already heard read. Do not use the Lord your God's name as if it were of no significance. Another translation do not use the Lord your God's name in a way that is unjust or unfair. The Lord won't forgive anyone who uses his name in that way. Sometimes we've heard it about using God's name in vain, which is a way of saying using God's name for selfish purposes or for the purpose of bringing hurt or cursing or difficulty to others. When I grew up with Commandment 3, basically my parents and Sunday school teachers said it was an instruction not to use God's name wrongly in my speech and to avoid cursing and cuss words and the misuse of God's name. And I, I think that's true, and I think it's a wise and important and faithful way to respond to this commandment. But if you look more deeply at the commandment and the words of using God's name in a wrong way, in a way that is... Uh, doesn't show the significance and holiness of God, or in that other way, in an unjust way, that takes the commandment a bit deeper. It's much like identity theft. It's much like when our reputation or our name or our accounts or our way of life is used to bring hurt or injustice to others. God's name is so sacred. In fact, in many Jewish circles, the name Yahweh cannot even be spoken it can't even be said because it is so sacred. And to use God and God's name in any way that would bring hurt or exclusion or pain or injustice to others is, according to Scripture, unforgivable. It's that, that corrupt, that horrible, that disgusting. I think that's a really, really helpful word for us today uh, and thinking about how we might use God's name in vain or use it in an, a way that makes God insignificant. Certainly we should avoid uh, cursing and cussing and using God's name in profound and hurtful ways in the, our speech. But do we ever use God's name in a way that misleads people? Sometimes we make promises, you know, I, I promise in the name of God, or I swear to God, right? Or in the name of, you know, God, or, or uh, is, Jesus is my witness, or Mary the mother of God. You know, whatever, people do this all the time as a way to legitimize their promises. But in reality, when they break those, they have used God's name in a way that is unforgivable. I mean, it's just unjust. I think God wants us to hear the intensity of when you use God's name or you live using God's name in a way that's hurtful. So anyway, anytime we use faith to diminish others, anytime when the church help, uh, you know, excludes folks, anytime that we are, are difficult on people or we speak a hard word of judgment or we get into a difficult place, we kind of have to turn back to this commandment. 
And when, in the name of religion, people kill others or abolish a certain ethnic group or whatever it may be, and we've seen that with cults and other groups who often do the work of evil and the work of destruction in the name of God, they have broken commandment three. Well, you may say, Pastor James, I, I haven't done who's corruptive things. My language is pretty clean. I feel pretty good about it. But I, I think it, I, I get really convicted with this commandment. James, is there ever a time that in your role as a pastor, in your role as a Christian, is there any time, friends, when we have made a promise in God's name we have not kept? Is there any time when we have spoken in a way that's not godly? then we fall into this place of being in opposition to commandment three. Do not use the Lord your God's name as if it were of no significance. That means embracing the extreme sacredness of God's name because the Lord finds it appalling. I think that's profound, and I don't want to minimize the power of commandment three. Commandment four is a little bit more involved and a little more lengthy, so hear it once again. Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. So the Sabbath day is the day of rest. And we as Christians often call Sunday our Sabbath. But in Judaism, the Sabbath begins at sunset, based on the creation story in Genesis 1, at sunset on Friday evening and concluding at sunset on Saturday evening. 24 hours in which there should be a full day of rest and a full day of worship. Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, the immigrant who is living among you, because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." That's fascinating. In the Deuteronomy version, it's about God delivering the people from slavery. That's a reason to observe the Sabbath. And there's much more detail about the animals resting. Nonetheless, though there's some glimpses of this kind of law in ancient culture, Sabbath law is unique to Judaism, and it is a very unique commandment in the ancient world. In the ancient world, people worked and worked and worked, and especially slaves, servants, indentured servants and immigrants would work endlessly without a day off as a way to sustain themselves, and they would be utilized and overutilized for the economic systems of various empires. The thought that one would allow their servants to rest, their slaves to rest, and even their animals to rest is a radical, radical idea. That Yahweh, God, has called God's people to a day of rest and worship, a complete day of rest. And in that, we focus completely on God, and by doing Sabbath, we begin to honor. In fact, many scholars believe honoring the Sabbath sets the stage for honoring mother and father, which sets the stage for the next five commandments about building sacred community, not stealing, not hurting, not coveting. I find this very convicting as well, but I confess to you that I often do not live Sabbath life well. I find myself making excuses for working on my Sabbath day, which is Friday. And you probably have found excuses 
for working on Sunday, if that's your Sabbath, or whatever day you set aside for rest, renewal, and worship, that's an important piece, being connected to God is a part of Sabbath life. Too often, we're easily convicted by our current culture that we have to stay busy, that we have to stay focused, that we have to be at every game, that we have to be at every event, that we have to produce every minute and every hour of the day, and we have to meet everybody's expectation. But the fourth commandment says that is not true. And in fact, God is so convicted that, in fact, in Deuteronomy, it's implied that if you don't observe the Sabbath, you will surely die. Now, that's kind of appalling to us to think, well, if I have to work extra hours, I'm going to die. But I think it's God's way of saying when we don't rest and we don't restore, inevitably our bodies will break down. We know from science and medicine that stress and a lack of rest and a lack of good sleep and a lack of disconnecting from the rat race will ultimately take its toll on our bodies, our emotional health, and our very journey. So I've been thinking a lot over this week about Sabbath. Wayne Mueller in his book, Sabbath, really invited folks to really begin to practice Sabbath, to turn off the TV, to turn off the phone, to not schedule up our days off, but to spend time with God in worship here and at home, and also to spend time with family. My friend, uh, who is uh, Orthodox and Jewish, really takes Sabbath seriously. At sunset, his phone is turned off. Food has been prepared before the sun sets so that no cooking is required for the next 24 hours. He attends worship on Friday night, Saturday morning, and Saturday evening. He reads scripture periodically through the day. He goes for a walk. He plays baseball with his nephew. He does things like that that are fun and enjoyable, but he truly takes the day off. He truly takes a day of rest. And he said by doing that, he is more focused on God, more focused on God's will for his life, more focused on what God wants for other people, and he's more rested and grounded to face the rest of the week. I want that for myself. Honestly, I just confess to you during the pandemic, I've allowed the pandemic to uh, permit me and give me excuse to not take rest and restore. And, and so I'm really committed as I crawl out of this pandemic reality that I'm going to draw clearer boundaries around my days of rest and my time of restoration and retreat. And that may have some impact on you and it may have some impact on others, but I hope that you too will take the time to Sabbath rest. Now the interesting thing is that we also heard a reading from Matthew. And in that reading from Matthew, which I find fascinating, Jesus reminds us that we can go to the other extreme. I grew up in a culture that had blue laws where you couldn't buy certain things on Sunday. You could buy a nail, but you couldn't buy a hammer because you couldn't work. In some ways, I longed for those days because there was no competition for youth group and church because it was, the malls were not open, the stores were closed, uh, liquor could not be sold on Sabbath. And so in some ways, that was kind of legislated rest and <laughs> I miss that a little bit because it forced us to be in that place. But the extreme is what was happening in the days of Jesus. Religious leaders had become so rigid around the Sabbath that they didn't allow certain things to happen. And in the stories from chapter 12 in Matthew, we hear that the, the disciples are hungry and they have to eventually gather some grain and they're criticized for working on the Sabbath. 
but Jesus reminds those critics of David's desire to feed folks during a very critical time. He also heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath and is severely criticized, but says, wouldn't you rescue someone out of a pit? Wouldn't you save your sheep if they fell down a ravine? Why wouldn't you bring healing even on the Sabbath? For in fact, the day of Sabbath is a day of rest. It's a day of worship, but it's a day of healing. But I'll be honest with you, though I appreciate Jesus' words, I don't think that's a problem in American culture. I think we are on the opposite end of this reality. We don't practice Sabbath seriously. Let me say that again, and I mean it seriously for me and for you. We do not practice Sabbath seriously. We do not take commandment four seriously. We make excuses for not being in worship. We make excuses for not spending time with family. We make excuses for not getting enough rest. We make excuses for not building time with those dear to us, me included. So as we look in the eyes of Jesus, as we experience the ancient laws of the Hebrew people, let us indeed never take God's name for granted or use it in ways that would hurt others. And let's practice Sabbath. So here's what I'm going to convict you to do this week. I'm going to convict you to pick a day. Maybe it's Sunday. Maybe it's today. And I'm going to invite you to take a few hours and do nothing or spend time with a family member or just relax. I'm going to invite you to cut off your smart tablet or smartphone for four hours. See if you can do it. See what it means for you not to be distracted by the busyness of the world and to truly focus on the God who created you, the God who created the world, the God who created each of us together, and the God who delivered us again and again. May Sabbath become a part of our practice as people of God. And the people of God said, Amen.